0: In government contracting, feeling like a small fish in a vast ocean is common and it can be overwhelming. However, for small businesses with the right knowledge and infrastructure, there are significant advantages to explore. In this episode, we'll focus on a crucial element of that infrastructure, legal support. Government contracting is complex and not having access to experienced legal assistance can be a hidden barrier for small businesses. We'll discuss how a lack of legal expertise can impact your contractual decisions and negotiations and why it's vital for your journey in GovCon. Welcome to Unveiled, GovCon Stories, where we explore the experiences and share the stories of small businesses and government contracting to spotlight the often sugar-coated or avoided discussions that speak to the reality of doing business within the U.S. public sector as a small business. On this episode, we're joined by Sherilyn harley Lebon, partner at Wumble Bunn & Dickinson, She is a highly regarded lawyer, advocate, and strategist with over 25 years of leadership experience in Washington, D.C. and abroad. She focuses her practice on government contracts and corporate matters. With a distinguished background as a presidential appointee at the U.S. Small Business Administration and U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs, Sherilyn leads clients through every stage of the federal procurement process. Her experience is aligned with the SBA's portfolio, including bank loans, financial assistance, disaster response, and government contracting for 8A, SDVOSB, WOSB, and HUBZone firms. Sherilyn draws on her extensive government experience to advise clients on a broad range of government contracting matters, including regulatory compliance with the agency's various programs, structuring joint venture agreements, counseling on mental protege programs, teaming agreements, contract interpretation and performance counseling, negotiation of requests for equitable adjustment, resolution of subcontract disputes, contract terminations, suspension and debarment, and advising on small business procurement programs in various federal agencies. In addition, Sherilyn advises clients on a range of corporate matters, including complex contracts, mergers, and acquisitions, bank representations, employment policies, and corporate governance. Fun facts, earlier in her career, she spent several years working overseas as a finance and telecommunications advisor to the German Congress and as an international transaction specialist with the Mannesmann Corporation of Dusseldorf, where she structured and negotiated financial transactions in Eastern Europe and Asia. She also served as a media advisor to a prime minister candidate in the UK. Sherilyn is committed to helping her clients develop creative and workable solutions to a broad range of matters while enabling them to achieve their financial and corporate goals. Sherilyn, thank you so much for being brave, pulling back the curtain, and sharing your GovCon story with us. So tell us your small business, GovCon story.
1: You know, in in my capacity, in my daily work as a GovCon lawyer, I work with GovCons of all sizes, small, medium, and large. And and every day when that phone rings, it could be anything, right? It could be a prime sub-dispute, it could be a bid protest, it could be some sort of communication issues with the contracting officer. It could be 8A issues, mentor protege. So I always approach every problem with, you know, let me put myself into the shoes of this business owner. And how would I, as a business owner, kind of solve this problem, right? And and there are so many small GovCon stories that I have, but but one that I'd like to highlight is that because I work with so many small GovCons, they are almost always working with the larger GovCons. And so, it's the David and Goliath story, right? Almost every day. It's how can I set my small GovCon clients up for success so that they are in a good negotiating position with the larger companies. And to be honest with you, Tasha and Yaz, that takes so many different forms and so many different conversations and so many different elements to consider. But I will tell you that the prevailing theme always is almost a David and Goliath story. And it's coaching those small GovCons and educating them and knowing them and giving them the confidence to know that you can do this, you can be successful, and you can set yourself up for success and doing business with the larger companies.
2: That's an amazing analogy. and as Tasha knows, I, I love analogies and, and comparisons and and stories because they they're relatable. And so I think everybody's heard the D- David and Goliath story. so even without going into detail explanation, we we get it and for those of us that have been in the small business world, definitely understand and, and kind of commiserate and 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 all kind of look 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 sideways when you start telling the story and thinking in our brains of situations that we've been in very much akin to that. Another thing that I think is very common, and again, thank you for highlighting some of those things, those daily kind of components of, of just being in the small business world, is just that there's so much information available. So as a small business, there's, there's I mean, you if you just were brave enough to just Google small business, GovCon, the, within, I don't know, a quarter of a second, you'd probably have upwards of 2 million hits of things related to small business. And there's a lot of information but it seems to to those smalls like such as ourselves on the outside, kind of looking in, that so much of this information is kind of a one size fits all. Like it doesn't necessarily guide you or help you understand yeah. the nuances or how to manipulate within that environment. Um, especially to your point of, you know, how many small businesses there are just trying to gain work and having to partner. So how do you position yourself to kind of advise these small businesses when, you know, in your background, their story is not necessarily unique. You've heard it probably a thousand (laughs) times over and it's referencing documents, especially with your background, having worked in the SBA, you're like, yeah, I know what file you're talking about. I I know what law, I know that regulation. Sure, sure, sure. Like, how do you put you said put put yourself in their shoes but how do you really kind of finesse that situation or their client your client's needs when to to incorporate the information that's available but also make it kind of something they can work with something that's
1: tangible yes. something that's workable so yes let me go back to your point about the access to information i actually i was on a panel last month for a women's conference and the, the question of access to resources came up. And it's it's really interesting because for small businesses, I think one of this is one of the wonderful things about living in our country, because I can tell you, having lived overseas, these type of resources don't exist um, in many other countries, right? So it's almost like we have the information, Yaz and Tasha, but sometimes my concern is that people don't, Understand that the resources are available. Okay, so let's just let me just run down a couple of resources that I find that people really could make better use of. Okay, Small Business Administration, right? My former, my former home, so to speak. They have district offices, several in all fifty states, and in these district offices, they have staff that are there to help small businesses lending information, startup information, all that good stuff. Alongside SBA district offices, they also have SCORE. I'm sure you both have heard of SCORE. SCORE is a national organization, I'm biased, I serve on the national board, that provides free mentoring and advisors to small businesses. And they are an affiliate organization of SBA, so therefore, they are also located And every state, in all 50 states, you will find a SCORE office. Okay. Let me also talk about the Women Business Centers, also located in 50 states. They are specifically designed to help women entrepreneurs. We have Veteran Business Centers. They are designed to help people who have served our country, veterans, with starting a company, right? With starting their businesses. We also have what's called PTAX, Now they're called Apex Accelerators, okay? They are designed to provide resources to startup government contractors. Okay, I've listed, what, five, six resources? So these are resources all designed for entrepreneurs. And you can get really good advice about setting up your entity corporate doc reviews, marketing advice, accounting advice, financial advice. So one of the things I advise people, sometimes, as you can imagine, people come to me and they say, you know, I'm ready to, to you know, set up my business. I'm ready to do X, Y, and Z. And sometimes I actually say to them, you know what? I think you need to go and use some of these free resources because I don't want to take your money. Yeah. These are available free sources here. I would rather you go and use them than come to me and, and spend your money because I don't write business plans, ladies. Mm-hmm. SBA, TTAC, the Veterans Business Centers, they can help them with all of those things. I don't want to be in the business of taking people's money unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. What I want is for my entrepreneurs and small businesses to come to me when they're ready. It's okay. You
0: say that, Sherilyn, because we've had this conversation a couple of times about timing of when you pull in certain types of assets and resources and wanting to make sure that like businesses don't unnecessarily, especially when you're small, whether you're a startup or you're, you're already in GovCon, but there are certain things you don't have to pay for per se, like there, there are resources that help. So timing and understanding, when do you bring in that paid resource for that additional support that augments some of the free resources that are available? So glad you said that Just dittos on some of the stuff we've already talked about.
1: And now sometimes when resources are free, you know, remember you get what you pay for, right? You need to be able to peel back the layer of the onion and and kind of perhaps pick and choose the best resources, okay? Because you're not going to align with every single person, but is your right as the person that is going to be using these resources to pick and choose and decide what is the best free resource for you? And I always encourage people to do that. If one particular mentor or volunteer is not working for you, go back and find another one. There is someone there that can help you and that you will connect with. Sometimes it may take a couple of, you know, tries to find that person. Now, yes, I know I went off on a tangent there. Please repeat your question to me again about small businesses and, and my role. No, I mean, we love it. So all, all also very useful
2: information. And before we even go back to the question, whatever, we'll get there. Tell, tell me more about the statement you made, businesses need to come to you when they're ready. From your professional perspective, what level of diligence or what level of planning would you say is kind of a, a good point for a business to reach out? So what do you, what boxes, what checklist should you have kind of at least preliminary completed before being really ready to invest? And I know that not every situation is the same and that's actually what the question was partly about, but in most right. cases, there's some basics. So
1: that's a very good question. You know, there are certain boxes that need to be checked. So you should, you should have a good understanding of what you bring to the market, what your value is. You should have a business plan. You should have some idea of how you're going to live and, and pay your bills while this business is in growth mode. There should be an idea of how you're going to raise capital and generate income. Part of the business plan should also include your marketing strategy. Again, I said that in the very beginning, you know, what is your value to the market? What do you bring to the table? You should have all those things worked out ideally before you see the banker, the lawyer, the accountant. Got it. Thank you. That is that is, and there's, I mean, there's those, more yeah,
2: yeah, but that gives you a foundation and those yeah, are, I mean, yeah, but if you, if you're jumping yeah, into this, that is foundationally, you, you really should have at least the, at a minimum kind of, kind of baked and, and Tasha and I do experience yes. with some of our customers <laughs> where we're trying to encourage them to, you know, make sure you put the thought into being able to articulate what it is you offer, because you're not going to be the only one doing that. Right. You're not going to be the only one providing that service. Right. So make sure you can articulate what differentiates you and what your value is to the community or businesses or whatever it is that you're working within. And so the question that we kind of originally posed was, how do you, I guess, position yourself to understand and advise each of your small business clients' needs? Is that kind of an assessment? Is that kind of an intake? What is kind of your process to make sure you understand where yeah that 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 company or that business is coming from so you can provide the best kind of
1: advisory services so you know really when i have an initial call with a prospective client i'm really in listening mode okay i'll say to them tell me three points about your your company what services are you providing and i often find if they're struggling to tell me these three points, we probably have a little bit of a problem, right? Because you need to be able to articulate me to, to me and three very sharp, critical points, what service you provide, what value you're adding, what is it where you wanna go with your company, right? And usually people call me with a specific problem, right? This is normally how I get introduced to people. They have a pain point and they're coming to me to solve their problem. So in that first discovery call of about 30 to 45 minutes, I'm really in listening mode because I'm also assessing ladies, whether I'm a good fit for them and whether they're a good fit for me. Much of what I do is I'm a strategic partner with my clients. So I want to make sure that, uh, again, I'm a good fit for them and they are a good fit for me. So it's really in that first discovery call, listening and assessing and hearing what the issue is and making sure that I can, in fact, help them. Sherilyn, you had your own business and you did do
0: a lot of the strategy. So just like myself and Yaz, you have multiple perspectives to be able to incorporate within how you provide that advisory to the business, having been on the, the, the side of government and having yep. been on the side of industry and having been an entrepreneur yep. yourself in this space and knowing how things work, I think that does measures to help you ensure that they've thought about like how they want to grow and those yep. components that you, you already went over. But with that said, there are yep. several small business owners that often feel as though they can't negotiate, right? With large businesses or even with government. Sometimes when they get contract awards, you know, we hear the stories of small businesses getting in, they say they're getting in over their heads. And usually the scope of work that was requested is something that they definitely can do with their eyes closed, but they may not have evaluated or negotiated that contract because there were the way the requirements were drafted made it nearly impossible for them to be successful, but they didn't either know to push back against it, or, they, you know, they didn't do the negotiation because maybe they thought they couldn't, or they felt awkward, like, you know, I should be thankful I'm getting the contract and I don't want to create any any issues. So I don't want to ask any questions. And so, you know, what would you say to those small businesses that see this as an impediment or a barrier or something, or they, they view
1: things this way, especially when dealing with larger companies? So first of all, knowledge is power. You don't know what you don't know. And if you don't know, you get the proper advice so that you can be as educated and put yourself in the best position possible. I would encourage any small business, especially in these initial, you know, the first couple times that they're negotiating with a larger business, you have to get good counsel. Because again, you don't know what you don't know. And especially if there is any sort of, you know, uncomfortable feeling about, they feel like they may not really know everything about the contract. They're not sure if they're negotiating the best position, even if they think, oh my goodness, I can't afford to hire a lawyer. Here's what I say. You can't afford not to.
0: Thank you for saying that. And we, we actually, I don't remember what episode it was, you but I think we it may have been the react, the response and, and reaction or something like that, where we were we had to take a position, Sherilyn, on investments that were critical. I think I did say legal, right? I think you did. Okay, yeah. So
2: instead of a Q and A, Q&A, we did an episode where we did statements and response. So you didn't get to formally come up with an answer in your traditional sense because we were kind of doing it on the fly. And, and one of the questions was around like what to invest in and what the opportunity cost is in, of not investing in your business in certain elements and accounting and legal were among those that came up for advisory services because the cost of doing it incorrectly is typically significantly higher than what you thought you were gonna pay to do it correctly and get resources to help support you. So yeah, I'm really glad you hit that point as well. In terms of other consider considerations Advising small businesses in GovCon, I mean, you've seen everything from the global marketplace all the way down to kind of domestic, and it's it's far down into like the local DC market. What other things do you typically help kind of advise your clients on in terms of just navigating this ocean? Because for a lot of the folks we work with, they're overwhelmed. We have conversations, I mean, even just a 45-minute conversation about the difference between capture and business development will take someone out. They are just like, wait, what? And I'm supposed to do how? It, uh, well, I don't have the resources. What do you mean? How, what? So, I mean, we get those in just everyday conversation. I can only imagine with a customer reaching out to you who's already potentially in a trouble spot and now <laughs> having to ingest more information and figure out if they're making the right decision. Even working with you as you're filling that out, like, what are some other considerations you would give small businesses maybe to even before they get to that point of? needing legal resources. Like we talked about kind of planning with the small businesses, but what are some other just interesting things you've seen along the way that maybe smalls you you don't think about because you haven't been in the situation?
1: Back to the question about giving guidance on how to compete with larger companies, in addition to smaller companies knowing when they need to seek legal advice. Okay. So that, that's the first hurdle. Do you know when you need to ask for a lawyer's assistance? Right. So, you know, I I consider that a, a big win when small companies realize they need that additional guidance. That's awesome. The other thing to think about when you're doing business with the big boys is larger companies is what do you bring to the table? Okay. And what you bring to the table has to be more than just. A certification. It has to be more than just 8A or WOSB or SDVOSB because there's plenty of those companies they can work with. Okay. So, number one, what do you bring to the table? Please know your value and be able to articulate that value. Okay. Because the more you're able to articulate what you bring to the table, the more you're better able to negotiate for yourself and your company. Okay. So, number two, What else are you going to do in this relationship? Are you going to offer to work on proposals? Are you going to take the lead on tech? Are you going to take the lead on project management? Take leadership somewhere in the relationship, okay? Because when you take leadership, again, you're increasing your value with that partner. What else do you want to bring in your relationship with the bigger companies? You want your company to be stable. And I mean that. Or at least you... the appearance. Yeah, or, or the appearance. <laughs> but what I mean by that is you want to you wanna make sure that you and your team don't have drama. Okay? And I mean no employee issues, no backbiting. You want to present to that larger company that you all are united front everything is is buttoned up everything's tight and we don't have any mishaps here and there and so that also means you want to make sure you bring to the table a united front with with low attrition, low turnover, all that because you want whoever's interfacing with that larger company to again be stable. The other thing that that bigger companies look for, they want better rates, right? So again, Be clear on what your rates are. Be clear on um, your value. And if you have that all worked out before you approach the bigger company, the better off you'll be. So have all these things in mind. It's almost like you really need to have your intact elevator pitch, right? You want everything to be intact, a very professional presentation and and you are very clear on your value because then you're able to better negotiate with the principals
0: are these some of the things that you also provide as considerations while you're advising your clients if you see that these are potential gaps um based oh, on yeah. the conversations yeah. you're having yeah. with them
1: and i can often tell by the look of the contract right mm. Yeah. For example, they're doing a teaming agreement and the work share is not defined. Mm -hmm. I'll say to my client, why haven't we defined work share? Well, I'm, and I make it as a response. Well, you know, I just really want to work with them. And so I, you know, I didn't want to ask for too much.
0: Well, well, I mean, it's not just, so that is part of it. Right. But then it's also, it is difficult though to get a a large business to take you seriously unless you have some kind of leverage. You can offer to do proposals. You can offer to take the lead for a certain section and have certain capabilities that your company's coming with. But with these large firms, they have a Rolodex of small businesses that have similar footprints. And so it can get you into a situation trying to push for, and a lot of them, even, even some of the small largest, yeah. like mid-tiers are getting funny acting with guarantee, you know, with Workship <laughs> and stuff like that. Right. When that, they used to be a bit more amenable to that yep. type of stuff. And yas, I see you're about to.
2: Yeah, because you know that as we talk about this and we're talking specifically about smalls working with larger businesses, but to me, it kind of still goes back to one of the foundational components of almost every one of our conversations and it's that ability to network and that ability to know people and that ability to yep. have people within those organizations that are are your friend, your champion, that can help you also understand the dynamics of the organization right. you may be working with. Because it is incredibly difficult as a small business to, you know, say we need to have this in the teaming agreement that we're doing best athlete and we have at least a 10% work share on task X, Y, and Z. Like if it's 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 intimidating to have some of those conversations but the dynamic and the way that conversation goes is a lot different when you can have that with someone you know and right. it's very similar to the conversation we had about working in the government trying to establish those relationships with people you know sure. where they can also help articulate your
1: value yes let me let me back up to this idea of work share because this is something I, i'm almost dealing with every day and I what see. i <laughs> often say to my clients is that you cannot be desperate for the crumbs. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you and, we'll and I and, and and I have I I have negotiated many of these agreements, and I say to my clients, we do need to put work share requirements in there because you are doing yourself a disservice by not negotiating them now. Because you realize often. You have to negotiate these things on the front end, because once the work has already been won and you don't state it, it's too, you know, it's really kind of too late to go and renegotiate all of this. So it's really important, again, to be clear, to be clear on the front end. I cannot overemphasize that. These are the times when you want to put those requirements in the time is when you start the relationship, because, again, you know, a teaming arrangement is, you know, I call that dating right, this is your chance to test people out to see what the relationship is like before you move into mentor protege or joint venture. Start out with teaming so you can see how it is, so you can see how the payment arrangements are going to be, so you can see how what it's like to work with the senior team. That's the way it should be. Start out with the teaming arrangement, because if the teaming arrangement isn't going to go well, I wouldn't move further on in a relationship if you're not satisfied with how the teaming arrangement is gone.
0: Yeah, and and there's a lot, a lot happening, I think, in the government space right now. I mean, there's always a lot happening in government, mm-hmm. but it seems lately, like with the we got the continuing resolution stuff that you know that can keep getting kicked down the road. Um, yes. we have attacks being made on equitable programs to bring in different demographics. You know, there's a lot of the 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 way acquisition is being done is just is shifting. And yes. so with all these things, some of the stuff we talked about definitely can be helpful, helpful. Um, Because all these changes and shifts have potential for significant impact to small businesses in this space. And we want to kind of transition and get into some of how lessons um, learned from your experience in our conversation could be beneficial for these businesses in mitigating like their ongoing operations and the planning, because we're in that planning season ready for, I mean, we're in first quarter for the, the government fiscal year, but. Um, a lot of businesses plan on a calendar year basis. And so uh, a lot of the planning and stuff is is happening right now. And we want to talk about some of those lessons that'll take us there,
2: yeah. And before um. we get into that, Sherlyn, I <laughs> something that I thought of that we should have probably addressed earlier on, and something that I actually didn't learn till I was several years into my career. The difference between legal contract support, and legal counsel, if you could kind of clue some of our listeners in, and we're kind of taking a tangent, but for me, I learned this a little late in the game because I I worked with contract specialists and I worked with some contract specialists that were lawyers. And then I worked with some lawyers that didn't do contracts. And then I worked with some lawyers that only worked on the business behalf as, as, as counsel when dealing with mergers, acquisitions, and things of that nature. And there were so many different lawyers involved and people that had legal knowledge I didn't really know how many different roles there were for some of our small businesses. They also may not know where they should be investing in terms of working with legal support. So if we could backtrack a little bit and kind of give us some
1: of the foundation, kind of lay of the land as far as that goes. So I'm not sure exactly um, what you mean by all these different definitions, because I think when you talk about a law firm, there's some pretty clear roles But when you talk about a company, Yaz, there are also different roles. So I'm not sure I can address the different roles in a company because every company is going to be different, but I certainly can talk about at our firm, right? And what we do at our firm and the type of guidance and support we provide. So as I said, stated in the beginning, our firm, our, our government contracts team provides advice A to Z. And I often provide advice on reviewing contracts, contract terminations. I help with sometimes review of bid proposals. We run the gamut. And I do know from working with my clients, they have contract shops. Yes, they may have contract managers who are responsible for reviewing and managing the contracts, right? They may have 100 contracts they're managing as prime, and then another maybe 50 to 100 subcontracts. And then often many of my clients have legal counsel, and the legal counsels within a government contracting company may do a variety of different things. And I really think, yes, to answer your question, it really depends on the company because each company may divvy up the duties of the lawyers on different things. Maybe they have a lawyers that only do, that oversee the contracts, right? There might be a legal team, councils that just do the mergers and acquisitions. I really think it depends on the company and how they have defined those roles. And and that's helpful because again, I was
2: kind of picked up these pieces as I moved between companies and saw these different roles and saw people working in different capacities. Some were lawyers, some were just contracts folks, and it did depend yeah. on the company. But I wanted yeah. to bring that up. So, folks, you know, also because we're talking about that there isn't a one size fits all to any of this stuff, kind of heard even from you within your company how you guys kind of divvy up roles in, in different right. specializations that you have, even in a law firm. Um, So as a small business, don't expect that you're necessarily going to get this right the very first time, which leads me right into lessons learned. (laughs) Unintentional, kind of perfect segue. I'll take it. So in terms of lessons learned, and as we're talking about building your business and that portfolio of resources that a small business owner should consider, what would you say are some of the top things that Owners should consider when looking for the right attorney. We talked a little bit even before about kind of how you do kind of a two-way evaluation. You're making sure you're a good fit and your potential client should be doing the same. So what are some of the kind of considerations that you would say that a small business should have in at top of mind or even further down the list as they go through their evaluation for finding the right attorney?
1: So I think, always you want to find an attorney that has the experience right that has the experience in in the industry you know i always think it's helpful because of course i came from government i came from working in congress 3 years as house of representatives of a lawyer and then also 3 years in the senate and in one of the things i did was help companies navigate working with the federal government i always think it'd be great to have a GovCon lawyer who has worked in government, because there's certain things you learn working in government that you just can't learn from being on the outside. The nuances of how government, how contracting officers interact with, with clients, it is, it is really a, a very special relationship in the federal marketplace. I call government contracting in its purest form public private partnerships right industry partners with the government to help the government deliver its services more efficiently participate in r and d you know industry can be more innovative than the government so i really think in its purest form it's public private partnerships and to have a lawyer that understands that would be awesome also i think it's just important to have a lawyer who who understands business right because at the end of the day you want a lawyer that is not going to be sort of tunnel vision just on the legal issues but can look at your business holistically who's going to be willing to work with the accountant who's going to be willing to work with the banker somebody who kind of has the antenna up on all aspects because you need to be able to look around the corner that's the most important thing. You need to be able to troubleshoot and you want a lawyer who can do that. And then finally, you want a lawyer who's going to listen to you, right? You you need them to listen because part of, of being a professional service provider, right, accountant, banker, is being able to really listen to your client and understand where the pain points are so that you can best advise them.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I had attended a one of uh, what it was the SCNH event that you invited me to, Sherilyn, um, not too long ago and got to speak to some of the other, your, your, your partners and other attorneys that's in the firm. And one of the things I found interesting was as you're having conversations, like for myself, my business, I'm trying to consider, like I have a timeline on how long I wanna do this. And I know I'm coming in with the perspective, eventually I wanna exit whether that's through an acquisition or through some type of phase out or what have you. And I think it's also important, like you said, not only the experience in understanding government, but I think experience and understanding even like your subject area, the the law office having, because if I'm all products, right? The type of considerations that I need to take into account versus a professional services provider, which is if that's all that they do, are going to be a little bit different. And you knowing that my growth goals are for acquisition, being able to advise me in a way with how I structure my agreements that may potentially have input on valuation. And if that's not your expertise or specialization, there may be another attorney that has more experience with GovCons in the M&A, which I did have the opportunity to learn about at that particular event, which was very helpful for me.
1: And Tasha, you bring up a very good point because you're clear on what you want to do in the next five years. That's another very important question that I ask all new clients. What are your goals? Because if your goal is to sell in five to seven years, that looks very different than somebody's goal, which is to leave their company to their daughter or son. Okay. It's very important to have realistic Expectations and to be clear on your goals, because Tasha, if your goal is to sell within five to seven years, there's certain things you need to be doing right now. You are not going to be having a lifestyle go. con. That is like not right.
0: <laughs> like I was, which was amazing. <laughs> but yes, so you know, it's,
1: yes, it's it's very important because if you want to sell in five to seven years, there are some very specific steps. You need to be taking to make sure that you are maximizing the business right now, that you are growing, adding value, that you are getting on the contract vehicles with value, right? So there are very specific steps as opposed to someone who's going to slowly grow their business or do it in a different way because they're, they're, they're building a, a business for legacy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Two very distinct, different goals, but you need to understand what your goals are. Yes. And definitely. I can't, these aren't goals for me to make up for you. <laughs> these are your goals. I'm just yeah. here to provide guidance, but you you need to know your goals. I can't come up with your goals for you.
0: Yeah, and, and part of that always tends to include some piece of doing business with, with large businesses as we've been talking before. It doesn't have to, but often does. So what are the top two, three things you keep seeing from a legal perspective that small businesses should be aware of and make sure to address in like their contracts and or negotiations.
1: So in addition um, to teaming. One, <laughs> yes, number one, um, know who your potential partners are. Like I'll, I'll ask my clients. So what do we know about these people? What are their revenue? What are their, you know, what, what's the revenue? What are their top executives like? What's the C-suite like? If you can't answer these questions, go back and do some more research. Okay, or go back and get some more recommendations for other people that you know a little bit more about. Okay, so number one, who who are these people? Who are they? How well do you know them? How did you meet them? Sometimes you get introduced to partners through other people, but you need to be able to answer that question. And if you don't know enough about them, go find out, right? Second of all, you know, what are you in the particular relationship, whatever it is, Right? Again, be clear about what you're bringing to the table. How do you add value? Because once you know that, once you're clear on what you bring to the table, then you're better able to negotiate. And finally, always have realistic expectations, right? When you're going into a particular relationship, whether it's reviewing a contract, whatever it is, you need to know what it is you're signing, right? You need to be clear on the payment terms because I'm gonna ask questions about it. Mm, This seems a little thin here on the payment terms. What are the discussions that you've had with the other side? Because I need all of that. That helps inform me when I'm reviewing a particular document. So be curious, ask questions, You know, because I'm going to want some more information when I am reviewing a document and any little backstory that I have helps me better review um, a particular document. And I
2: would like to kind of use that same line of reasoning and, and Sherilyn ask kind of more about what your company's doing. So as a strategist, as someone that's owned businesses, as, you know, having a law firm, and working with companies to plan in advance or understand the dynamics of understand their business so that they can talk about their value statement. So how do you all do that internally? I mean, for me, sometimes I'll speak personally, by the end of the day, I don't want to be in front of a computer because my background is in technology. I'm constantly on the computer. I'm often talking to people about technology. So I have a really hard time doing my own technical stuff. If I have something broken in my house that is at all IT related, it is likely to stay broken because by the time I am at the end of the day, I am teched out. So how with given your role, how do you then kind of take steps back and, and start planning for your future. We're heading into the next calendar year. So, I mean,
1: what does that look like for you guys? So let me tell you a little bit about our firm. Wobble Bond Dickinson is headquartered in the Southeast. We grew out of the Raleigh, Charlotte, South Carolina area. And then we've grown. We now have lawyers licensed in all 50 states. I am out of the Tyson's. Uh, my office is out of the Tyson's Corner, Virginia office, And so we represent a variety of companies, not only in the United States, but all over the world. And we also have 450 lawyers in the UK. So that also gives us international presence with 500 plus lawyers here. And so we really help companies in a variety of different disciplines. So again, you know that my area is is government contracts and corporate. We have a very large and well-developed IP team, so that's trademarks, patents, patent prosecution. Corporate is pretty extensive. So for example, in our Boston office, we have a lot of biotech folks, as well as out of California offices. We have three. We have a lot of technology companies out of there, clients that we represent. And we represent in other disciplines besides IP, government contracts, corporate. We also have very extensive litigation where it is white collar, mass torts. We have estate planning. We have bankruptcy. We're seeing a lot of that, unfortunately, in this economy. Really, just everything, one-stop shop, I call it A to Z. And so I feel fortunate enough to be at a firm with a large platform where I feel there's not one, not one thing that I can't help my clients with at this firm. And that's a very good feeling, Particularly my smaller clients, my minority and women-owned clients. I like to know that they have a home here at Womble Bond Dickinson and that we can meet all of their needs. Before we close out, I
0: wanted to just get two things. One I want to know more about what does Sherilyn have over the horizon? And the last one is one final takeaway for small businesses that you would like to
1: hit on before we we close everything out. Okay. Small businesses. What I'd like to say is make sure that the foundation is strong. All right. And that means have a legal advisor, have a banker who's going to be your strategic partner, not one that you set up your bank account, you do everything online, and you really don't talk to them. You need a strategic partner, banking partner, because if you intend to grow your business, you will need a solid banker in your corner. And finally, find a reliable accountant. If you're in the GovCon space, you need to have an accountant who knows GovCon. You may have an accountant now that your dad used for 30 years and he's awesome, but if he doesn't know GovCon accounting, he's not really gonna be able to help you. So again, find the people that that are in your area of expertise and can help you. If you think you can't afford one, you are wrong. You can't afford not to have one. Okay, what does Sherilyn have on the horizon? So, one of my favorite conferences is the National AA Conference. I love it because I have so many of my clients that go, and so many of them live all over the country. And so, it's my chance to see them. And what I do is I set up office hours, which means I'm off the clock, they can, I, I don't bill. It is an opportunity to see them, find out what's going on, see what projects are in the pipeline, see what we've got going, all the good stuff, and sometimes the bad, but I want to hear it all, and I get to see them in person, and it's truly one of my favorite conferences.
0: And it's in Atlanta, right? Yeah,
1: Yes. It's the 7th, so I'm looking forward to that. In between, I have a couple other conferences, but I must say, that is one of my favorites.
0: We'll make sure to have that in the show notes.
1: Absolutely. All right.
0: And that's all we have for today. We talked about how in government contracting, feeling like a small fish can just be overwhelming. But we also discussed how you have several advantages that can help your business grow and it can be an amazing opportunity, especially when you have the right foundation, the right infrastructure in place. Contract Government contracting is complex and nobody knows everything. So having those resources, your legal support and advisory, a relationship with the banker, as well as a accountant, all who need to have experience specifically in government contracting because of the nuances and regulation that are required in order to keep your business safe are very important. We also talked about doing business as a small with large companies in the space. You can negotiate. You can ask for more, and knowing where your business is, what you bring to the table, definitely helps not only you, but any advisory support that you receive, help you to navigate how to structure that. Not only for the in person talks that you may have with these potential partners, but as well as the legal documentations associated with it. There are several other items that we discuss with regards to infrastructure and resources that are out there and available. We've talked about these several times in our podcast, the Apex Accelerators, the VBOX, the Women Business Centers, SCORE. There are so many. SBA, website as well. There are free resources, and we like to call them federally funded resources, um, out there to support your needs in the government contracting space. And they do have their role in place in you planning and doing business. So please don't forget about those. And with that, we thank you all for joining us on Unveil GovCon Stories. Absolutely. Thank you
2: all for listening in. And Sherlyn, thank you for joining us. It's been amazing having you on the podcast with us and sharing some information, especially from such a well-rounded background um, in GovCon and abroad. Um, So thank you again for
1: joining. It's been my pleasure. And I have just enjoyed my time with you both. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on Unveiled GovCon Stories,
2: a hive 39 media production with our special guest, Sherlyn Harley LeBon of Womble Bond Dickinson, and your host, Tasha and Yas. Please subscribe, share, like, thumbs up. And also, please check our show notes. We have links for our guests, for our listeners. If you would like to be a guest, if you have content that you would love to hear us touch on or ideas, feedback, comments, we're always actively listening and searching for information and feedback from our audience. We do this for our audience and we hope that this helps impact small businesses so that you guys can, you know, just learn more about working in GovCon. We also encourage you to join the Hive 39 community. You'll also see a link there. It's an inclusive online community for GovCon small businesses and consultants to learn, share, and grow. You can receive free resources there to support your business in pursuing government contracts, meet new partners, make new friends, identify small business events that are going on that are appropriate for your industry and just generally stay up to date. We keep the content fresh there and you know encourage everyone to join the community. So thanks again for for joining us on Unveil.